It's time for episode 172 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, January 18th, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast where we punch the clock. Hopefully not violently. I'm your co-host, Dan Morin, and joining me is my co-host across this nation of ours, Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Take that clock and stay down. Take, Bam! Pow! <laughs> right in the clock face. Right yeah, in the face. That's right. Right the in the face. That's faces. where you punch a clock. Mm-hmm. They have faces and hands. Yeah, I know, uh, right? clocks. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. Uh, this is the show where we talk about four technology topics with two wonderful guests. To my left, you can read his writings in a number of places. Mr. Jeff Carlson is here. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. How are you? And to my left, one of the hosts of the very excellent Do By Friday podcast, as well as some other podcasts, and also she works at Cards Against Humanity, it's Alex Cox. Hello. Hello. It is good to be back. It's good to have you back. Uh, And I'm today's designated co-host, so I guess I get to kick things off. And we'll do that by talking about games, because who doesn't like games? So the Nintendo Switch got a little more detail last week as uh, Nintendo held a press conference in Japan. I watched a very, very small amount of it, but I've also been reading a bunch about it. Uh, I'm curious to know if you guys uh, find this an interesting product, an interesting move for Nintendo. Is it something that appeals to you? You think you'll be buying one, or are you... uh, you feeling kind of blasé about it. Jeff, what do you think? I am a little ambivalent about it, uh, partially because it looks like the type of thing that has a great demo. I mean, that that first video that came out was like really dynamic. And, oh, you can take it. You can uh, put it on your TV at home and then put it, take it in the car and all that. Um, like, it, it looks cool. But is it too modular? I mean, if, if you're really going to get the most out of this thing, are you going to be like, okay, I've got my Switch, and now I've got this bag full of little controllers and connectors and, and all of that, um, that that people will actually take advantage of? I'm not sure. Um, I will definitely take a wait-and-see approach to it. Um, and I think also it'll be the type of thing where, um, you know, the games that are available for it will ultimately uh, decide whether or not it's it's good. Yeah, I am interested in it. Uh, not interested enough to pre-order it, but interested uh, enough to admit to myself that I probably will buy one at some point after it's been out a little while. I have I bought the Wii and the Wii U. Uh, I do enjoy Nintendo stuff. My kids enjoy it, although they're they're a little older now and enjoy it less. And and my son's really getting into sort of more mainstream. Uh, you know, teen and above uh, games now instead of uh, instead of sort of the friendly Nintendo. But we all love Nintendo stuff and play it too. I think my big takeaway about the Switch is I think it's kind of brilliant because what they've really done here is created a handheld that you can plug into a TV and also play as a console. Uh, and they've done it in a way that people refer to it more as a console that you can take away than as a handheld you can plug in. And that's a nice trick. That's a neat trick because they could have spun this as the next generation of the DS and said, oh, but you can buy a dock and plug it in. And instead it's like, no, no, it comes with the dock. They show it in the dock and you can also take it with you. And I think that's uh, I think that's cool. And I think it's a nice idea to like my son. I have to kick him off the TV every now and then when he's playing something. And the idea that if on the Nintendo Switch, he's playing something on the big TV. He can just pick it out of the cradle and keep playing it, even put it on the table somewhere and keep playing it. That's a that's a cool idea. So I think it's a good idea from Nintendo, and this feels much more like the Wii to me than the Wii U. I am just 
so uh, farting excited about the Nintendo Switch. I, I, the only reason I haven't pre-ordered it is because immediately Amazon sold out. Um, I think I'm a little nervous that the launch titles seem to be kind of sparse other than Zelda. Like it doesn't really go for the hardcore Nintendo fans. Um, but I really hope that is because they've, are just like going full on on their hardware. Um, the, the like Jason said, the ability to you know take a game into the other room that was sort of there with the Wii U, but I don't know anybody who used it, kids, adults, or otherwise. Um, and just just looking at this hardware, I have not been excited about Nintendo hardware s- since uh, I, I think the 3DS. And it is colorful and fun, but the marketing is like uh, really targeted at those darn millenniums. So I, I think, as always with Nintendo, I'm just cautiously optimistic. And I really hope we get a uh, console Pokemon game finally. Uh, cautious optimism. I think I think Alex is on the right track with that one. Everything I've read suggests, uh, Jason, in fact, that they should have gone in the opposite direction and maybe just marketed it as a handheld that you can dock to your TV <laughs> since it seems to be much more competitive as a handheld than obviously when you stack it up against things like the Xbox or the PlayStation. It's kind of in a different class hardware wise. Uh, but that doesn't that it, it is a pretty spectacular handheld from what everybody can tell. Uh, like Alex, I'm also a little wary about the lack of launch titles, although even just redoing the uh, Mario Kart for the Wii U, which I never got to play that much because I didn't have a Wii U, uh, is pretty attractive to me. So I'm thinking about it. I'm wondering if they're also one of the other suggestions in an article I read was they should ditch the dock and, you know, at least offer a bundle without the dock for a little bit cheaper. Um, so in that case, you know, might get a few more people in the door. I think I'm more intrigued in that, but we'll see. Maybe the price will come down. Maybe the new launch titles will come out and really sell me. Um, but I, I'll keep that cautious optimism going. Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go to topic number two. Jeff, what do you got for us? Well, I want to talk about Twitter and Trump. And honestly, I'm, I'm being apolitical here. Um, since the president-elect is relying so heavily on Twitter to get his message out, um, does that mean Twitter needs to do something to, um, you know, perhaps beef up its security, um, some sort of internal, um, security mechanism to prevent somebody from taking over Trump's Twitter feed? We've seen, um, you know, Obama has, uh, has a Twitter feed, but that, basically seems to be like an arm of the general White House communications team. Uh, do people at Twitter need to be worried that um, they are, you know, they could be targeted by, you know, bad actors? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, first off, Jeff, I think it's a, a little bit silly to suggest that uh, people might use uh, electronic infiltration techniques to take advantage of American politics. I think that's just a wild <laughs> idea. What I'm fascinated by is uh, is Twitter itself in this. So the president of the United States is going to tweet actively and not one of these, you know, every now and then there's a tweet from the real person and then the rest of it comes from the staff. Although although apparently, you know, we can know from the Android versus iOS uh, stat about when it's Trump staff and when it's Trump tweeting. But he is an active, t- uh, you know, just t- he's a real tweeter, like off the top of his mind and onto Twitter, right? I, I was thinking about though Twitter is kind of troubled and has been looking for a buyer and hasn't had one. And I, I start to think like if Twitter becomes an, an important messaging technique for the president, the sitting president of the United States and is in danger of going out of business 
what happens? What goes on there? How weird is it that so, that so many journalists and uh, politicians apparently are relying on this service that itself is kind of troubled and might not necessarily survive in the long run or might get sold and broken up? What happens if there are serious policy violations, I think, is another thing. What if Donald Trump uh, breaks Twitter's stated harassment policies, let's say? Do they suspend the president of the United States' account? What I just what a weird world we live in. So that's the sort of stuff that I'm going to I'm going to watch in the next four years. I this is something that uh, just causes me anxiety every single day. Um, and I, I think it's hard to be like a, a political about it. I I wonder, too, like, Jason, I didn't, hadn't even thought of that. Like, he's definitely going to violate the terms of service. <laughs> he already has. There's no way. Like, there's just no, no heckin' way. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also something that I just recently learned about called the paper... Paperwork Reduction Act of 1995, which uh, basically means that the federal government cannot issue um, just they can't bog down the public with paperwork in order to like delay something. So when the Obama administration came in, they were like, can we tweet? I don't know. And it they basically decided all right, we can tweet, but we can't use a question mark because that's technically a- asking the public to answer a survey question. So uh, I wonder, like, I-, I think about this a lot. Are the digital rules of the White House just going to go out the window? And also, is, like, how are they going to secure Trump's phone? And who charges Trump's phone at night? Like, who knows his password? <laughs> how would, uh, what, I, like, I legitimately... I'm nervous about this all the time. So um, I, I don't really have coherent thoughts about this other than I'm scared and I hope the world doesn't end. <laughs> I guess it's good that we're starting this out with like the really hard case and like it'll, everything will be downhill after that, right? Um, I'm not sure, but there is some interesting stuff going on, uh, with this account. Obviously we talked about, you know, the paperwork reduction act, stuff like that. There's also the whole, like, you know, the, the president's communications are, uh, archived, right? And so Trump in his current account has occasionally deleted tweets. Uh, you can't do that if you're president. It's not allowed. Uh, so, you know, there's a question there, too, about not just uh, violating Twitter's terms of services, but also like dealing with how do you in a medium that is so ephemeral and yet permanent? Uh, how do you deal with that when it comes to archiving these things for posterity? If Twitter does go out of business, uh, I guess all those tweets are in the Library of Congress somewhere. So I guess there is an archive of them. Um, it does strike me as very problematic. Um, and I also noticed, uh, Jeff, I think you you mentioned this on Twitter yesterday. There are people who are making fake screenshots slash using like parody accounts to uh, tweet things that seem like they come from him in order to use like basically it was an like an author disparaging his own book to give it attention or something um that seems really weird so it, it does open up a lot of possibilities for technical malfeasance that he relies so heavily on this um and it's going to be a big challenge both for twitter uh and for society it was that author isaac marion who wrote the warm bodies uh books it made it look like he was having a spat with trump and it turned out that that it wasn't um and what's interesting about this is that um you know it it, it happens so quickly 
And I think there's also, because of the way Trump has tweeted in the past, there are so many things that I've seen, not just this, where um, you see a screen grab and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe he actually said that. But then you're like, well, no, actually, I could believe he would have said that. And then you have to go track it down. And, um, you know, how many people are, are not going to track it down? So when you have um, a, a president who tweets things that affects, you know, uh, uh, global markets and affects uh, companies' stock prices just you know, like on a quick whim, um, how do you deal with that? How do you work around that? How do you, you know, um, prepare for it? Um, I wish I knew, I, I think it's really fascinating, but, um, you know, as, as we keep hearing lately, we are in uncharted territory. Yep. We will, we will have to see what happens next, uh, but you'll be able to see it on Twitter. So there you go. <laughs> we're, we're halfway through this episode of Clockwise. Two more uh, topics left to go. But first, let me tell you about one of our sponsors. This episode of Clockwise brought to you in part by the, our good friends at the Ministry of Supply. Everybody knows what it's like to spend 40 hours a week or more in uncomfortable work clothing. They can be restrictive and unbreathable. And by the end of the day, they're all wrinkled. Ministry of Supply makes performance clothes for the workplace. It's created by MIT engineers. Ministry of Supply combines human-centric research performance technology and tailored design to create wear to work clothes for men and women like dress shirts blouses and pants their garments work with your body to provide maximum comfort combined with features like temperature control wrinkle resistance and extreme stretch to give you a sharp professional look all day long i have worn their dress shirt i have one of their dress shirts and i love it i'm going to have to get more quite frankly because it's so great it has nasa invented fibers in it that regulate body temperature it doesn't wrinkle it is such a great shirt uh, to the point where people notice and they're like, wow, that's a really nice shirt. Uh, seriously, which never happens to me otherwise. So I, I've been very impressed. And I'm also excited to tell you that now the Ministry of Supply makes socks. They have smarter dress socks that are made of coffee fiber that wicks sweat and absorbs odor. It's true. Uh, they've got extra cushioning, more padding than gym socks. And here's the thing about Ministry of Supply as an internet business. They get uh, they give you free shipping. You've got free returns. And there's a hundred day no questions asked return policy. So there's really no risk. Find out more by going to ministryofsupply.com slash clockwise and you'll get a free pair of moisture wicking smarter dress socks, free socks, with your first purchase. Ministryofsupply.com slash clockwise to find out more or visit any of their nine retail stores in the real world in places like San Francisco, Atlanta, and Chicago and mention clockwise and you'll get a special deal. Thank you, Ministry of Supply, for sponsoring clockwise topic number three is from me twitter has it's twitter again and but i want to talk about vine twitter has let vine die on the uh on itself uh will you miss it and what do you use more generally to share short videos on the internet if anything uh what's missing in terms of sharing little videos on the internet today i'm really going to miss vine i think um initially like all the original twitter geeks jumped on it but then it it, it developed a really unique demographic with like younger folks and really like interesting creative filmmakers and and i i actually prefer like the very first i guess era of vine where you couldn't upload videos all the editing had to be in camera 
Um, it was just this weird, very pure thing on the internet, I felt. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I share short videos directly to Twitter via my phone or I just export them from Instagram. Um, I'm wondering though if this like Vine camera app is going to show a sort of like resurgence in looping videos directly on Twitter because there's people who make their living on Vine. Um, I, and I'm really interested to see how that'll turn out. Yeah, I think the weird thing about the short video phenomenon is that it has become very fragmented in some ways because there are so many different ways of doing it. You've got Vine, you've got Instagram, um, you've got, you know, live photos, you've got GIFs, um, and all those things are similar, but a lot of them aren't exactly the same, and they don't always translate very well. Like, if you try to post a live photo to Twitter or something, it, it's just a photo, right? Like, you can't post an actual live photo. Um, and so, it's a little weird that we have all these different formats, um, because it makes it all very, un, you know, incompatible, and it's... It feels frustrating to figure out like, oh, I'm going to shoot this video or this you know clip in one place and try to upload it someplace else. And that, that doesn't really happen. I don't think we necessarily need a repository like that's like Vine where it's like dedicated to this one type of art form. But it would be cool if there was some sort of format or standard to be able to create these kinds of short videos and upload them to a bunch of different services. So uh, that's kind of what I'd like to see is is maybe some more uh, uh, embracing of either short movies or or gifts or something. But like Alex, I, I missed the early days when it was the people trying to do all the figuring out how to do all the in-camera editing on those videos, because there is some really clever stuff in there. I have to admit that I didn't really get into Vines, um, except, and this is where I get to be really embarrassed, uh, when I was writing a book about um, video on the on iOS devices, um, I, I used it a bit, and I was like, hey, this is really cool, and here's how to do it. Um, but I think pr the problem is I, I tend to think more in terms of still photos. Um, I think... Overall, it's it's unfortunate that Twitter seems to be scaling back something that that at least for a while gave them some differentiation, um, and it, it, from you know some of the stuff that I read, it sounded like you know part of it is uh, Twitter's just problem with um, making money, um, but also you know the Vine like didn't stay at the top of the charts, and so perhaps you know it it hit that point where they were like, oh, well, it's just not worth it, even though it, you know, still seemed to provide a good service. Um, I like the fact that it, that it really inspired that kind of video. Um, and I think, uh, you know, just personally, like whenever I do short videos, it's, it's really, you know, the, the iPhone camera app and just uh, uploading short things to Instagram. Yeah, I think, I think it's fair to say that Vine could be considered some, a feature inside Twitter that, you know, uploading short videos inside apps is fine. And to have a dedicated app just for uploading short videos is probably not worth it. I do agree. It's amazing when you put constraints like length and having to edit in camera, essentially, that you get interesting stuff by putting those constraints on people. And I, I'm going to lament that. I really enjoyed uh, the Gingercast, the world's only six second long tech podcast, which uh, our, our friends Christina Bonington <laughs> and Roberto Baldwin did for a while. I'm going to miss that. Uh, a lot of great sports highlights where people would literally just take a video of a highlight on the TV and tweet it around. And those were actually pretty great because you don't need more than six seconds for that. Although, of course, the copyright holders didn't like that. So I, you know, I think it'll be, I think, I think it's sad uh, because uh, innovative kind of UI of, uh, of how to make a video fairly simply and keep it short is useful. 
people, but I'm not sure that needs to be a standalone app or service or if, you know, all the apps are integrating as much video as they can now. I think that may be just the way to go. Thank you all for your thoughts. Alex, it's time for your topic. What do you have? So uh, for a brief period, the Apple Store app, not the the App Store, um, had a great option where you could just schedule Genius Bar appointments right right there in the app. And then it disappeared. And I, I was kind of at a loss and panicky. I've, I kind of felt like an old person. I'm like, what do, what do I do? Do I call? Do I show up? Um, and they, it was, you had to like do all of these weird workarounds where it's like, need help? Go, go to the actual website. Um, and you had to do all of these weird selections to actually get, uh, to the place where you could schedule a Genius Bar appointment. And now, uh, the Apple released a S- Apple support app, which I thought was really interesting. Um, you can just go in, select your device, but there are still all of these options where they really want you to call Apple instead of scheduling a Genius Bar appointment. And I'm wondering if that is, I, I, I mean, I can imagine it's just the ramp up in demand. Uh, for service, but also I, I feel like I might have caused this problem because I would always schedule something <laughs> and it, it, and I would just not show up because I'm that jerk. Um, but also I, I'm sort of wondering if people have used this and what their experiences at the Apple store and the genius bar, uh, have been like. My day, you used to have to walk to the Apple store, uphill, <laughs> in the snow. Yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. I've heard a lot of stories recently about people who are like, either they can't get appointments or they're booked out weeks in advance or they go to the stores and the stores are super crowded. And I've certainly used the genius bar a number of times over my life to, to get, you know, support for various products. And in general, it's been pretty solid. Um, even if I have to wait a couple of days for an appointment, it's, been a while before or it's been a while since i've actually had to make an appointment for one of my products and got to find some wood to knock on here um but yeah i think part of it is that the demand is just increased and skyrocketed with the huge sales of iphones and the like and so i'm sure apple's trying to shunt whatever it can to people either troubleshooting stuff at home or doing the troubleshooting over the phone um uh, yeah i mean to to a certain extent there's at some point never any uh, substitute for taking your computer into the uh, to the genius bar because some things just need to be looked at in person. I say this as a person who does a lot of tech support for his parents. Uh, sometimes you can't do it over the phone. I think when people look at at like the the second uh, resurgence of Apple, um, the genius bars is something that gets overlooked, but um, is really really key to to their success. The idea that you know, hey, you bought this thing, and if you're willing to go in and wait, um, you can get a lot lot of of good support and good you know hands on uh person to person time to help resolve problems and i think you know like it, it really is a genius idea um but the popularity has definitely worked against it um i took my iphone 6s in to get it its battery replaced um just last week and i had to schedule um one week ahead that you know it was like six days before i could get any any appointment um and once i was there um although you know they're very professional um and and um, accommodating uh, the the place is packed and you just you have a lot of people just sort of waiting for a genius to to come by um, you know lots of other companies do that um, to sort of dissuade people from from taking advantage of tech support you have phone trees and all of that and I think Apple's done a little bit of that by making it more difficult to get genius appointments um, on the other hand every email support interaction I've had has been fantastic like above and beyond Beyond. So, you know, I think Apple still gets it with support. They just 
don't quite have a handle on how to deal with just the the massive demand for it. I think Apple really is stepping up its game in terms of the online support and the email support. I had a I I rented a movie. No, I bought a movie. I bought a movie and discovered that it had had uh, all of the music or much of the music changed in it because uh, and not on the Blu-ray but just on the iTunes version because they didn't have streaming rights to the songs and and it, it's uh, oh. and it's it, it vitally important to plot points and tone of the movie these specific song uses and they're just replaced with like saxophones and stuff it's so terrible <laughs> no <laughs> and i so i sent a, a i i did a a request for a refund to apple support and i said this movie is not acceptable uh you you know all the all the music got replaced and i got an email within 24 hours that said we're so sorry um i totally understand why that's a problem and we'll refund your money and i was like great solved and a day later, I got another email that said, I just want to confirm that that has been put back on your credit card. Is there anything more I can do for you? And I was like, wow, this is really impressive. And I've heard from other people where they've had incredibly responsive, positive interactions from the people they've got doing email support. So I will say, if you're somebody who has written off the idea of email support uh, or you know pushing buttons and filling out forms uh, on the web for company support, because usually that's terrible, I think Apple maybe is doing that right and more of us should take advantage of that fact and not just go to the genius bar. I mean, I, I, I'm one of, the, I guess you could call me a serial iPhone killer. Uh, luckily, it has all, all of my disasters have somehow all been under warranty where the battery is funky. Um, I, I've been told that I fry chips. Um, sometimes there's dead pixels, whatever. And I, I know, like, I'm that person, I'm like, okay, I know that I need an appointment. Um, and just looking at these options, like, one, one of the support options is suspicious app behavior. I don't even, like, and I, what what does that mean? Um, and now every single time I go to um, the Genius Bar, they're like, well, have you tried quitting all of your apps? And I just want to bang my head against the table. <laughs> but it's a beautiful wood table that you'll be banging <laughs> oh, your head against. I, I would feel like Johnny and I, our, our foreheads were just smooshing together. But I mean, uh, you know, back in my day when I was 12, um, I the, the Apple Store used to feel like this magical place going into it. And it was like... It, it was like Disney World. It felt like the entire atmosphere was designed exactly for what this experience should be. And and the other day, uh, I and, and we have like one of the flagship Apple stores here in Chicago on Michigan Avenue. And I walk in and it wasn't a particularly cold day. And there were just heaters on the floor just and there were wires everywhere and i i don't know i'm like having this existential apple store crisis um and i have to take my laptop in for a software issue instead of a hardware issue for the first time uh, since forever and i i'm really interested to see how they handle um mac support because i haven't had an issue in so long and i'm 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 worried well, uh, that's four great topics. A little bit of a bummer at the end there, but that's okay. We watch all corners <laughs> of the world. Uh, we have uh, a bonus topic coming from Dan, I hope, if he's prepared one. But first, I want, uh, that, I'm going to leave that as a cliffhanger. I want to tell you the sponsor for the thing that Dan may or may not have, and that is Linode. It's our good friends at Linode, a fast, powerful hosting for your projects. You can set them up in just seconds. They have easy to understand tools that let you choose your resources, choose your Linux distro, and you get the power and flexibility you need, and you get your own server on 
on the internet. Plans start at just $10 a month for a 2-gigabyte Linux server in the Lin- in the Linode cloud. That's pretty amazing. Linode has more than 400,000 customers, all taken care of by a friendly 24-7 support team. Hey, we're talking about support. You can email Linode support, call them, or chat over IRC in the Linode community. If you need help, they will be there for you. They have comprehensive guides and support documentation to teach you everything you need to know to set up and manage your virtual servers. The control panel is nicely designed. It's got a focus on ease and simplicity. You can deploy, boot, resize, and clone in just a few clicks. There's two-factor authentication to keep you safe. You can create snapshot images of your disk volumes for backup and replication. It is the full package for your server infrastructure needs. As a listener of Clockwise, you can sign up at linode.com slash clockwise. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash clockwise. You'll support us and you will get $20 toward any Linode plan. And with a seven-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. Linode.com slash clockwise to learn more, sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit, or just use the promo code clockwise2017 at checkout. Thank you to Linode for sponsoring Dan's bonus question. Dan, do you have a bonus question? Jason, was there ever any doubt? Of course I have a bonus question. My bonus question for you, since we talked about video games, is what was the first video game you remember playing? I imagine we might get some different answers from this. Jeff, what about you? Uh, That would have to be a uh, sit-down Pong machine in a pizza restaurant when I was a kid. Um, but I would say the most memorable, uh, would be hours and hours and hours of pitfall on my Atari 2600. We didn't have an arcade in my small town, but like the pizza place where we would go after peewee baseball games had, uh, arcade consoles. So I'm pretty sure it was something like Space Invaders and then all the early Atari 2600 games, cause that was the first home console experience. And again, those, that would be like Breakout or something like that. Super simple stuff. Just one, one rung up from Pong. I I'm I'm in this weird position where there's not a point in my life where I I remember not having video games. Um, but but the first game that was like truly mine and truly special was uh Pokemon Red. And again, I don't remember starting the game, but I remember finishing the game and immediately playing Pokemon Crystal, which was like the sequel, and it was the first time you could be a girl in Pokemon. It was very, very exciting. And it was also the uh, first console that I did not have to share with my brothers. Mine was probably something else on Atari, like Pole Position or something, maybe Karataka. I, I, mm. Probably my first biggest memories, though, are Prince of Persia and... Um, playing Dragon Warrior on my Nintendo when I had surgery as a kid and I got to stay home and I ended up playing Dragon Warrior a bunch. (laughs) Uh, And that's the end of the show. All that remains is for us to thank our two wonderful guests. Jeff Carlson, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. And Alex Cox, thank you. Thank you for having me. Another show in the can, Jason. Yep, we made it. We made it to the end. Uh, But we'll be back next week and we'll do it all again with two other guests and four more topics. But until then, we remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.